Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Happy Being Well. We have an exciting guest today, someone who's truly, truly overcome obstacles in life challenges um, in life and now is living a wellness lifestyle and most importantly, inspiring others to live a healthy and wellness lifestyle. We have Elsie Curry. He is a podcaster. He's a podcaster of Recovery Soulful Soul Food Podcast, Recovery Soul Food Podcast, which can be found on YouTube, on Apple iTunes, and Spotify, and any other audio platform you get your podcasts on. He's also a motivational speaker um, and teacher and spiritual guide and he is we're going to talk deep in, in terms of what he has overcome and he's overcome a lot and it's quite quite impressive and he does have a fabulous fabulous podcast to truly truly inspire others to overcome life's challenges most specifically overcoming a, a substance abuse such as addiction which if we any if we know anybody who's addicted to substance we truly know that it's a real real struggle uh, they relapse and, and, you know, it's, it's a very real challenge and he's achieved it and he is spreading the message and ways to achieve that um, ongoing. And so before we dive deep with LC, I love that name, LC. I just love saying LC. <laughs> Um, before we dive deep with Elsie, this podcast is sponsored by happybeingwell.com, your online store for leggings, 100% facial, natural facial masks, crystals, sage, Palo Santo, all natural essential oils, natural bath soaps, natural deodorants, and much more at happybeingwell.com. Use code podcast25 for 25% off all leggings. All items include free shipping in the USA. So welcome, Elsie. I was on your, I was just on your podcast, Recovery Soul Food, just last Saturday. So, and you have a fabulous podcast. You're such an, an excellent, excellent podcast host. You do it really well. Thank you. In terms of being a host and really being able to pull great content out of your guests and um, so you're, you're, you really truly have an, like an, a remarkable journey. Like you were addicted to substances yes. and, you know, I've known people, you know, that were addicted and they still are, it's, you yeah. know, a real, real challenge to get out of that. So, yes. um, and you're also, you know, you also are transgender, like you've went through that obstacle as well. Um, and today you're a motivational speaker and, and inspiring and helping others. So, I mean, I'm sure you have a phenomenal story. So tell us like, how did you get addicted? I guess we'll just focus on the addiction and then we can, or maybe they're, maybe they're intertwined. I don't know. They really are. They really are. That's why I have such a hard time. You know, um, I had people because I began speaking about, um, you know, about recovery and active addiction and different things before I stepped into my actual physical transition, gender transition. Um, and there's so many people that would somehow ask me to separate them. And I was trying to separate them myself. 
and there's no way to do it. So, you know, I knew when I was four years old that I was, my body and my mind and my heart just didn't match. And I was just this confused little being. And, you know, for a while, when you're four and five, you can try to, you know, you can kind of pull it off. It's not that important. Um, I remember just having so much body dysphoria whenever I would be dressed like in a dress. My grandmother was a seamstress, so she would sew these great Easter dresses. And it was like the most torturous day of my life. Every year Easter would come and I grew up in the South. So it was this big holiday and you dress your, you know, your, your kids, your grandkids up in these dresses. And it was terrible for me, but my grandfather was my best friend. So, you know, everything that he did, I wanted to do. And, and it was just so confusing, but pretty soon after that, I had some, um, sexual trauma that began to happen through one of my mom's husbands and and she and I really went through a lot you know he was emotionally abusive he was sexually abusive and he was very physically violent so in amongst this you know this confusion that I'm feeling within myself now <clears throat> I'm having this other trauma this complex trauma that's happening and I'm having to be really quiet about it. And, you know, all these things are happening and they just started kind of compounding on each other. And, and my mom, who, you know, I love her so much, but she was, a, you know, a young person trying to make her way through her trauma. So she was married a lot. So when she left that man, she married another man who wasn't sexually abusive, but he was very, very emotionally and verbally and physically abusive to myself and my sister. So I just kept experiencing all of this trauma and somehow I kept relaying it back to it's because I'm some type of abomination, you know, like in the South where we're, we're raised, where religion is, is, is a, is a basis, you know, in our lives. And so when you hear things and nobody knew, you know, I never said anything to anyone about, you know, what I was feeling inside. And so I would hear all of the, you know, no one in my immediate family, I never heard anything derogatory, but you know, the world around us, society around us. And so I really started thinking that I was wrong, that, you know, I was a mistake somehow, you know, I, something was wrong with me that I would have to change this and that maybe all of this bad stuff was happening to me because I was somehow born flawed. And yet there was this, my inner self, you know, which of course I didn't identify at the time. There was that part of me that was like not buying into it. So it was just, you know, I was having this internal fight within me. And when I turned, when I was 11 years old, I, I had met my father, my birth father when I was eight, but I didn't start really spending time with him until I was about nine years old. And I wanted him to see me and, you know, and accept me. And, and I felt like he had kind of walked out on me. So everything I did was for him to notice me and I didn't want to lose his love again. And so he was a weekend drinker. And he would allow me to drink. And I remember at 11 years old, taking my first drink and thinking, 
oh man, like this is exactly what I need to stop reliving and thinking about all this negative stuff that's going on that'll help me hide this secret that that just allows me to relax and not have to keep so much guard up. So it became an every weekend thing. You know, I would go to my father's house and they would be, you know, having their parties and stuff. And, and I just felt accepted. I was able to be, loosen up and be funny. I was a young musician. So, you know, I, I got to be like the life of their party and the whole time I was drinking, but I would drink to excess every time. Like I'd be an 11 year old, 12 year old, just throwing up by the end of the night. It'd just be a disaster. And I just remember in that moment, feeling that substance going, this is my escape. And when I was 14, I you know, of course, now puberty begins to hit and my body just starts to revolt on me. You know, all of a sudden, you know, when puberty comes and you're sprouting different body parts and things are happening to your body, I was, I was just, I, I, I didn't want to live. Like I thought if I have to live in this body, what am I going to do? Like it's, you know, it, I felt like I was, I named myself and felt truly that I was God's little joke. And so I began, um, you know, I began self-mutilation at that time. It was like the only way I could release pain. And I found opiates and marijuana at that time. <clears throat> and, and when I discovered those things, it was like the happiness that I had always craved the happiness that I had always desired came in the form of this pill. And I, that, that was it for me. You know, I, I sought after that feeling over and over and over for, I guess I would say when I finally came into recovery in 2013, I had just gotten to the place where I had a little bit of that clean and sober time. And I hate to use those terms because they're outdated and, you know, but I, but I have to speak in the where I was at the time. So I'd had a little clean and sober time where I had simply just tried to give up the drugs, but I never did any work on the inside of me. You know, I would, I would do some counseling, but it was just seemed like I was just going in and talking to someone and they were just co-signing everything I was laying out and, you know, agreeing with me that I had had this really horrific and horrible life, but they weren't helping me with any skills of how do I now do that, you know, deal with this and live a life that's happy. But in 2013, it had just come to, it had just come to a moment where I knew something had to change. You know, I had a son that was my stepson. Um, he was 12, 13 years old. And I kept thinking, is this the life, you know, that I want for him to, to, to have to go through this or to set him up now to do this, to deal with his problems in his life? I mean, you know, what am I doing here? And I, it was a life or death situation. I mean, I had to make a choice. Either I'm leaving here tonight with, the clothes I have on my back and whatever money I have, and I'm just going to go away, let, let my family be better without me, 
and and use until I die, or I'm going to figure out a way to figure this thing out. And something just clicked with me that I had to work on my head and my heart, that it was not going to be enough just to put the drugs down. I had to do something that was going to allow me to find a wellness lifestyle because addiction is a lifestyle. You know, everything you do is immersed in everything addiction. So I knew that recovery was going to have to be a lifestyle as well, but but what was the models, you know, that we had of recovery? It was dark meetings in, in dark church basements, chain smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and telling these horrible war stories. And that did not, it, like, that was not what I wanted out of recovery. And I just started working on things. And I started with my mind. I, I watched a free Bob Proctor a webinar online and I started learning about the laws of the universe and they started making sense to me and <clears throat> I just started putting this little thing that we we talk about a lot but I don't think people honestly understand I started putting this little thing called gratitude into practice in my life and I remember him saying when you get up tomorrow, make a list of 10 things you're grateful for. And if you can't find 10, just find five. And Rita, I couldn't, I had to force myself to put down one thing that I was grateful for. And now the same things that I'm grateful for today, I had the same family, you know, I had a roof over my head. We had food to eat. We weren't so destitute. But all I could see at that time is how I was failing them. So I couldn't be grateful for something. And I just found this one thing. And I just stayed with that every day. And what I started to understand is little by little, I, I started growing in gratitude. And my perception of life and myself and things started changing. And it, and it, and it kind of started happening on its own where people began to come to me to do an article about my life or uh, to tell my story or, you know, to speak to groups about recovery. And I just became on fire with it. And my, my, my purpose and goal was to tell, you know, other human beings that number one, there's more than one way to recover. And number two, we got to stop staying stuck on things that are just about addiction and recovery. Like we got to branch out and do things about our mind, our hearts, forgiveness. I mean, all of those core things. And we got to heal our roots. You know, if we don't, we're always going to be looking over our shoulder for relapse. And I didn't want to live that way. So <clears throat> through much... And I, I, I had all the obstacles that people have getting into recovery. I had no steady income. I had no insurance. I just went out and was so hungry for change that I just started finding resources. I found free clinics, um, free counseling clinics. I, I found an outpatient um, program that, that used uh, medication-assisted treatment for opioid um, withdrawal. Uh, I got into that program and I just started doing things, you know, checking off all my boxes. And as I was healing a lot of that trauma, 
finally about three or four years into my recovery, this nagging, you know, thing that kept coming up inside of me saying, okay, now what are we going to do about this whole body situation? And I would just kind of put it away and say, listen, we're doing okay. You know, like we've, we've cleaned our lives up. We've, we've gone through all this trauma. We're, we're doing okay. And it just kept rising up because I never wanted to be a hypocrite. And once again, everything just laid itself out. You know, I had no more excuses. Our son was graduating from high school, so I couldn't use the, well, I don't want him to have a transparent, you know, in the South and have to go to school and, and all of that stuff. <clears throat> so I didn't have any other excuse not to explore who I truly was. And once again, the universe laid it out for me. Um, I made an appointment with a doctor in my practice, but it was a new doctor I hadn't met. I got the nerve up to make an appointment to go and say, okay, listen, I'm transgender and I need help. And I went to the doctor. We were having the appointment. She was asking me all these questions. How's your stomach? How's all this? Because I had a lot of stomach anxiety and different problems. I was on many different medications for anxiety and everything. And finally, I'd almost chickened out and the meeting was, the appointment was coming to a close and her back was to me. And I said, listen, this is why I'm really here. I said, I'm transgender and, and I, I want to step into transition and I don't know how to do it. And she slowly turned around to look at me with this, this look of shock and awe on her face. And she said, well, you know that I am one of only two, you know, trans care HRT doctors in this area. And it was like, I knew right then that, okay, so I'm making this right decision. The universe is lining it up for me to be here. And within, you know, a month after that, I started my, my um, testosterone shots. And yesterday was, I celebrated four years in my transition. I've now been in substance use recovery for eight years. And, you know, podcasting gives me great joy, but what gives me the most joy, Rita, is is, you know, meeting people like yourself that have these amazing wellness practices and have come through so much yourself. See, we're all the same, you know, like we're all really the same, whether we're addicted to substance or Netflix or whatever pacifier it is, we're all <clears throat> just trying to be better humans. And, you know, I, my point was to bring that into the recovery community is like wait y'all let's we don't have to talk about drug war stories and and this stuff let's do some things and learn some you know different healing modalities that start really changing us from the inside out versus just trying to hold ourselves back from our coping skill and you know like you say, you know, a full wellness lifestyle is necessary in order for a person to heal the things that keep them running back to that, you know, quick fix, like, you know, instant gratification, you know, escape. If we, if we embrace an entire lifestyle change, 
then that's not even, you know, that, that becomes not even, you know, a thought, you know, do I, do I experience triggers? Yes, but they're not triggers where I think about using. That is, you know, that's an amazing feat. And I could not have done that if I would have just stayed focused on just don't use, you know, by any means necessary, don't use. Well, that's not always feasible, you know, it's just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also our, our, sub, our unconscious mind does not process negative words like don't. So yes. in a way, when you say don't use, you're just saying use, use. Exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. And also we're all motivated different, differently. Um, so I think the common theme with everybody, either they're addicted to whatever Netflix or they're addicted to procrastination. And cause we hear this common theme, um, you know, people stuck in, just being stuck in general, whether it's stuck in a career that they don't like or a job and they just, they don't have the courage to get out of it because it requires effort and work and faith to yes. the city paycheck and venture off into a new um, job where they don't know who your coworkers are. I mean, it is a risk. So people will just stay stuck in because of those, those variables, the unknown variables, or if it's procrastination and not really taking massive action in a business. Um, so you get stuck in procrastination and you spend most of your time on Netflix, um, right? It's a comfort zone. Uh, or you just continue being addicted to a certain substance, whether it's alcohol or a particular drug. These are all addictions, and because um, procrastination is also addiction, everything's an yes. addiction. Yes. Serve, you know, uh, being comfort, feeling secure, and we're motivated differently too. So you know, some people, you know, are motivated towards their goal. Um, of achievement, or some people are motivated, you know, away from pain, you know, the pain has gotten so badly, that they're actually being motivated now from from experiencing even more and more pain. So it sounds like, you know, for you, you're talking about your family, um, you know, because you're causing pain to your family while you were you know, addicted to substances or a sub or substance. Um, and so what was your, what was your primary motivation? Was it your family or was it, you know, loss of your family? Like you losing your, like, what was your primary motivation or second? And what was your secondary motivation? Well, in, in 2008, I went through like this very end of uh, 2007 in December, I lost my best friend, um, 33 years old, and his heart exploded. And then less than a month later, my grandmother passed away. And then six months to the day after that, my grandfather, who I spoke about being my best friend, he passed away. And it was when I was talking to him on the phone, and I mean, he was literally on his deathbed. I was saying to him, hold on, I'll be there. I'll get there as soon as I can. Being an active addiction, you know, I had legal issues. So I couldn't just pick up and leave the state that I was in to get to him. But something happened when I heard him struggling to breathe. And, and for that moment, I, I, I did this very unselfish thing with him, which I had never really done because I had only 
been in that active addiction space where I was running from pain. And I told him, you know what? Don't struggle anymore. I promise you, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to get clean, so to speak. I'm going to do this. Go ahead and, you know, you know, take, you know, go in peace. Well, I had no idea how in the world I was going to pull that off because my past experience with getting clean and sober just had not worked. Um, and so there was those, there was those four years after that where I was still fumbling around trying to figure out how to make this promise, you know, come to pass. So it was a combination of always trying to fulfill that promise because I just knew in my soul that it was not going to be a promise that I was not going to, you know, get to fulfill. I, I knew I was going to have to. And then that motivation of seeing my son and, and not wanting to be a hypocrite. I thought of, I thought of if he were, if he were living his life and handling his pain in the same way I was, would I want that for him? And I, you know, it just made me so sad to think of, instead of me being in the bathroom with a needle in my neck, you know, trying to, you know, get myself out of this pain, I imagined it was him in the mirror. And I thought to myself, would I ever want to see my son that, you know, I felt like was just a gift to me. He was four years old when I met his mom, you know, I mean, he was everything to me. I, I just couldn't see him in that situation. And I thought, well, how am I going to not, how am I going to help him not get there? Tell him, you know, don't do what I do. How well does that work out? It never does. So it was that inability to be a hypocrite when it came to him and that kind of served me during the whole recovery process because I just kept working at that. So anything that I was going to try to guide him to in life, anything, anything that was positive, I was going to have to show him because we know that, you know, people usually watch us more than they listen to us. And especially when we're talking about children. And so I knew that I just couldn't be a hypocrite that I was going to have to do whatever it took to make sure that, that I walked everything that I talked to him. So if I told him not to lie, that I couldn't be a liar. And if I told him not to use drugs or alcohol, that I could not be using drugs and alcohol. And, and so it was not a perfect path by any means, because now once you take the drugs and alcohol away, I was this raw, angry, you know, human being that was still carrying all of this pain and resentment. And he was this young man going through puberty. And what I didn't realize is a lot of my anger was tied up in. He was doing getting to experience something that I didn't at his age. So I was almost trying to live my life through him, you know, almost letting him pushing him to do all the things that I wish I would have been able to do if I would have been in my right body, you know, at his age. And so it made for a lot of anger, but 
there was always an open line of communication with him. So those were truly my motivations and they were the things that kept me accountable. The promise was, you know, the foundation. My son was the accountability. And so that kept me until he graduated and moved out of the house. And by that time I had put so much into practice that I had my own foundation. And now I was really starting to love myself and the possibilities became clearer that, that my life wasn't over, that I was 44 years old, that I could do all of the things that I had dreamt about, you know, in my life and that I was currently dreaming about. So those were my motivations. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like you were like motivated to, um, away from more pain because see, if, yeah. if seeing your son going down the same path with you would just cause you extreme pain that you just no longer wanted. So see, yeah. Um, and then, so how did you, so you, now you're motivated to finally deal with your, your traumas, your root traumas and, and heal those root causes. So, um, how did you do that? So that you were no longer triggered to take the substance for comfort any longer. How did you do yeah. that? I started with, again, I started with the mind. I, I knew that I had to start with, with, with my thoughts because that was my major, you know, that was the program I was running. And the program I was running was victim. The program I was running was, you know, external blame resentment, you know, why me, I, you know, the questions I was asking myself were not winning questions. They were not positive and successful questions. They were questions that were almost like anchors to where I was. So when I started the gratitude practice, <clears throat> I didn't do it in a way that I just made a list for, to make a list sake. I focused in on one thing that I could really, really get into, like what I, it was like a head and a heart, like true gratitude. So, you know, what, I don't remember exactly what it was in the beginning, other than, you know, just being grateful for my son, that I had this opportunity to change my life and hopefully change his. So when I started with that gratitude, <clears throat> I just started noticing how important perception was because how I was seeing my world was determining the experience I was going to have. And when I started learning some of the things about how powerful the mind is and how we are not a, a body just out here living from wave to wave like a ship with no captain, we are actually actually co-creating this existence it was an amazingly it, it was just an amazing way to open my eyes to the fact that there were possibilities in my life i had always only perceived all the mistakes i made all the perceived um you know opportunities i had that i missed and so it was always in some way I was the big screw up. And, you know, as I started that gratitude practice, little by little, my perception began to just open up and change and see that when I associate myself with 
you know, a more positive outlook on life. And when I, and, and you and I talked about it in my podcast a little bit too, I really started doing physical motions to stop when those, when those old thought patterns would happen. I would, I wasn't all that great at catching them before they got there. I was, but I started becoming faster at catching them when I found myself in one of those loops, one of those negative loops. And so I would do something physical. I would clap my hands. I would hit my fist to that. And I would just, or I'd say no. And oh my gosh, for the longest time, Rita, I'd be in the middle of the grocery store. And all of a sudden I'd just yell out, no, just audience, you know, like, no. And people would just look at me, but I had to stop that. You know, I had to do something drastic that would kind of interrupt that loop so that I could then come back to ground and say, okay, we can rethink this or we can, you know, is that really what's happening? What I'm perceiving to happen right now, is there something else that could be possible? So it really started there. I didn't even get to the deeper healing until I first started working on just the, had to put the fire out in my mind so that I could then start getting down into those roots. And I just reached out for everything. I studied the laws of the universe in great depth. I, I, I started um, even using, utilizing um, EFT tapping. I, I utilized tapping. I utilized visualization. Um, I, I also had an amazing psychologist who was probably the most awesome human being I'd ever met and had this great talent for not co-signing my bullshit, but never being offensive and just stopping me in it. You know, she'd let me finish it. And then she'd just give me another option. You know, like she, she, here's another possibility of what could be going on. She was brilliant at it. And, you know, I, I really, her name was Amanda Young. And, and I, I really have to give her so much of, you know, of the credit for helping me through those early years. And to be honest, the substance didn't even completely go away. There were a couple times in there that, that I didn't fall completely off the rails, but I dabbled a little bit, but she didn't let me sit in the shame of that. She was like, of course you did. You know, I mean, you've been, you have been actively using to numb your pain for 22 years. There's no way you know, that, that you're not going to, to go back that, I mean, cause she knew I was dealing with a lot of stuff and we were working through a lot of stuff. So she was like, why don't you celebrate? And, and she just gave me another option. She says, why don't you just celebrate the fact that you used once this year instead of every day this year, like last year, you know, and, and that, Look at all the tools that you utilized to help yourself, you know, through all of this. Look at the fact that you're in here talking to me the day after you had this situation. Before, you would have fallen down and just kept rolling down and down and down until you landed in a prison cell somewhere. And then you decided to, you know, get clean again. She was like, we're going to do this a whole nother way. And it was just it helped me break that shame cycle. 
because I think that's what so many of us suffer from is, is the shame of all of it. You know, it's, it almost becomes like a, a moral failing, uh, you know, other than, you know, a coping mechanism. And so I just started learning about the, and, and, and another thing that was really helpful is starting to learn about the processes in the brain, how the brain runs a program, what happens with, <clears throat> especially in substance use recovery, you know, at that year, you know, the first three months you're on what they call the pink cloud, where you're highly motivated to do this recovery program. And then all of a sudden life, you know, is, is sets in and you're, you're having to deal with life on its terms. And, and there's a, there's a big happening of relapse at that three month place. Then there's that year mark where your brain is going to send you into a wildly hard trigger because it's almost like when we go to delete a file on our computer and it says, are you sure you want to delete this file, permanently delete this? Well, I realized that the brain was doing that as well. And what spurred me to start podcasting about this stuff is because I didn't learn about that until I started um, studying to become a certified drug and alcohol counselor. And I thought to myself, why, why are we not teaching people that are going through this, this, why are we just teaching professionals this? We need to be talking to the people that are relapsing and, and this is happening to them because they're not, they're not understanding that this is a brain and a chemical process. They're thinking this is a moral process, that this is a weakness and that they don't have the willpower to stay clean when in reality, you know, this is what your brain's going to do. These are the chemicals and the hormones that it's going to send out. And your vibration is going to vibrate that trigger right to you. And, you know, learning about stuff like that, where it kind of took a lot of that shameful pressure off of me so that I could kind of get out ahead of these things that I knew would come was vital. I, I called it my recovery battle plan. And every year it changes because we grow and change. But in the very beginning, it was, it was so specific that I would plan a different route to drive to work. I would not listen to the same music that I listened to all my life. Like I had to turn everything off to create a new normal for myself. And some of that music I still don't listen to to this day because it doesn't hold the same meaning and, and stuff. So that recovery battle plan was me getting out in front of what I knew was going to trigger me. You and I have talked about, too, how important it is to study yourself. And I started studying myself. I started looking at my habits. I started looking at you know, I started taking apart relapses. If I had a relapse, I studied the relapse. I didn't let it go in the shame cycle. I studied it. What, ha what was happening before? Where was my brain at that time? You know, what had I been thinking about? What was I listening to? What was the emotion? So that I could start making a plan to get out in front of that. Save my life. Mm -hmm, oh, my mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And that's something that I've you know, like life is just, you know, there's so many different, um, 
life paths we can go on and our lives can look different depending upon what we choose in our like what, what we choose to do with our life <laughs> what does what decisions we make right do we stay on course do we you know take that new job do we start this new business do we move to a new location do we you know buy another home do we stay in this home I mean there's just so many things that can alter our life path um and this is where people get stuck I think it's that fear of the unknown and um and all there's a whole like you you touched on like pretty much every point you know in in relation to fear in relation to self image and relation to the program that we've been programmed with that is basically molding and dictating the type of choices that we do make um and that's a lot of it is is our that is in our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind is the main driver of behavior um so and we're just it's just living in society the way everything is designed it's just we live it's just it's a been designed um basically if you really look at it um to produce workers and to so that we work and pay our taxes on time and be functional citizens and to do that there's competition there in terms of you know there's no you know, when I was in university, I remember people would always talk, there's only so many A's that they're going to give out. It, we're just really in a competitive society where we you know, competing with the grades, jobs, promotions. And so the, uh, there's an indirect, we're always going to be, um, you know, it's not, we're not like consciously focusing on it, but there's this indirect message of like, you know, this competitive mode, uh, be better, should be harder, you know, she's smarter than you, he's smarter than you, she's better looking than you, or whatever, whatever it is, right, that, so, of course, we're just going to have um, this type, particular type of, s- some degree of maybe insecurity, um, you know, it's just something that we have to be more mindful of and realize the truth, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not, and not, and dwell upon. And I think too, it, it is good to do self-reflection, like you say, because then it really, um, it brings awareness and truth in terms of how our decisions were molded at the time. Like how, why did I make this particular decision? Mm. Why was I so scared? And, and I made that decision when I didn't see the rest of the what other, you know, I didn't see possibilities that I could have done this or this that was perhaps maybe more empowering because I was stuck in this fear-based thinking or the story that I told myself based on a trauma. Story so huge. You know, and then we paint our world around us with yeah. this limited story, this limited belief because we want to protect ourselves, right? Absolutely. Yes. And our mind, it, you know, our mind distorts thoughts um, because the conscious mind will do that because, you know, we can't, if we were to literally be so conscious of everything, all the bits and pieces of information around us, it's kind of like we, some people say we'd go crazy. Right. You know, to yeah. be able to hold that capacity. That and then, so it's why we generalize information. So this is where stereotypes, it's why are, as humans, we typically like to form stereotypes because it's just a quick and easy way to uh, interpret information. 
And um, so the more and more mindful, like you say, like how our brain operates in terms of how we process information, we have these filters of distortion, generalization, um, all based on our personal past history. Yeah. So in yes. all of our personal past history, like is so different. Like, like you, your personal past history is so different than mine because, yeah. you know, I didn't, you didn't, I don't, I can't, I don't know what it's like to grow up and feel like, you know, I'm in the wrong body. Right. But you do. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we're so, di- we have, we just have different experiences. Um, but you're also right. Like that you touched on the point that either way, maybe you suffer, you experienced, um, that, you know, like I, you know, universe is playing a joke on me. I don't fit this gender, you know, I fit more. So this gender, however, I've experienced as a girl, maybe, you know, have, oh, I wish I was taller. You know, why am I, you know, we, it's still the same particular, um, I don't know, I guess you could say insecurity, particular, you know, obstacle or challenge you, you know, um, are experiencing that we feel smaller, I guess you could say, or a burden or something that we're not, as if like, we're not a hundred percent, like we don't have all the, all the cards that everybody else has, like we're missing out or we have a burden or something, but we've all, we all have it just in different, different, different forms. Yeah. Our similarities are so much more than our perceived differences. And I think that that's the message that, you know, I really try to do with, with everything that I do, you know, when even doing, I started a podcast called the transgender mentor, and I'm kind of on hiatus with that right now, because it's almost the same as recovery soul food, because in all honesty, we're talking about the same things. And, you know, I believe that our past program is, is, has been, Put into place so that we all kind of follow the same guidelines but why that becomes so you know dis you know some of us feel so disconnected from that is because i believe that we're all authentically meant to be these very different you know parts of human consciousness i mean you know when we talk about being all divine expressions in human form like if we're all the same, it would be ridiculously boring. But for so long, the program was be the norm, you know, like this is the norm and this is where you want to try to be. And so we kind of learn subconsciously to hide those authentic parts of ourselves. And so when, when we would have, whether it's the shape of our nose or our ethnic background or, you know, whatever being trans or gay or or whatever it is, we're, we just subconsciously absorb that that is wrong because it doesn't fit in this box. And so we should somehow, we write this story around how bad our authentic parts are. But what I'm learning and what I've learned through this process is the further that I ran away from my true self and being trans isn't isn't even that, you know, it's part of it. But the further I ran away from my authentic divine self, the more disconnected I got. 
And the more disconnected I got, the more I used, the more I needed to pacify my pain, whether it was with heroin or, or pills or alcohol, or like you said, procrastination or, and, and, and Facebook and whatever else. That was, you know, I'm, I'm moving upstream. And every time I think we want to escape from ourselves or our moment is a, is a beautiful indication that we are moving upstream, that we are moving away from our divine authenticity. And all I really had to do, and it sounds easier than it truly is, is, is stop running and turn around and begin to walk back home to myself. Because the moment that I accepted that, okay, I'm transgender, was the moment that I could then begin that alignment process. The moment that I said, okay, I'm addicted to not only opiates, but I'm addicted to any, I'm addicted to escaping this pain, was the moment that I kind of stopped running and turned around and just started moving slowly but surely back home to my divine self. And I know that as we come into this new earth energy, we're, we're coming to that place where we're thinking, what am I running from but myself? And the beauty and the alignment comes in coming back home to me. And we're starting to see this, you know, like I said, you're a fierce divine feminine. And, and the divine feminine is really raising up in this time of consciousness because it's time. It's that receiving, that mother, that nurturing energy that is so necessary for all of us that it's time for us to nurture ourselves. It's time for us to accept ourselves for what that is and not just depend on, you know, we, we got to not just depend on, you know, if I'm, if I'm transgender, I can't just depend on a physical transition to think that I'm going to do that and my whole life's going to be okay because that's that's external you know so the real healing and the real self-love's got to come from deeper than that and within and that that yes I love that physically I'm beginning to look like you know feeling more at home in my body but if I stop right there that's just a surface level and what'll happen is I will have all kinds of surgeries and now I will present as this person and I'm still going to feel empty. And when I feel empty, I'm going to say, I regret doing all that because, and that's when we get people that, you know, walk into suicide or people that relapse after 20 years or people that have, you know, gender affirming surgeries and then they regret it because we're looking for that outside thing to bring in to make us happy when really like you say, we got to be happy being well within. And then that is what translates out. And we, you know, vibrate back into us the things we want. You know, that reticular activating system in our brain is huge. And, you know, when we learn how all of this works, you know, and learn to work with that, and come home to ourselves, that's when we find peace and we become happy being well, you know, that's mm -hmm. my opinion. No, I, that's true. That's absolute truth and beautifully said, perfectly said. 
Yeah, and for those that don't know what the reticular activating system is, it's just whatever you're aware of or focus on, you're gonna see more of in the world. Um, and I, Tony Robbins talks, to, actually, I think Tony Robbins really was the one that really made awareness around the reticular activating system. He uses the example of, or he does the exercise of, you know, close your eyes or pick a color in the room. Yeah. And pick a color. No, sorry, just pick a color and then open up your eyes and then look for it. And you're gonna see, you're gonna see more of it, you know. Um, same thing if you think of if you're more um, you know, aware of a particular car. Like if you're if you want to yeah. buy a particular car, once you start driving around, you're gonna see that yeah. car more on the road, which has happened to me on so many occasions. <laughs> um, if you have a particular car of getting, all of a sudden I'm seeing more of it around yeah. me. Um, yeah. it's that's the reticular activating system. Yeah. And for people in active addiction, this is this is key because everybody thinks I used to think of it, too, is like, how can I go into, you know, a crowd of a thousand people who aren't using drugs, but the one drug dealer will find me like it's written, you know, on my face. Well, that's it. You know, that's what's happening. You know, your reticular activating system is vibrating in a certain way and that guy will find you no matter what. So, you know, that's a big thing for people that are in substance use recovery is like, why does this keep happening to me? Because it's still active, that reticular activating, that thing is active. Yeah, and because it's an addiction, you've experienced it so many times, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is where we talk about manifesting. Now, yep. you know, it's like basically the reticular activating system um, because you're not only like, you, you've experienced what it's like to take that particular substance. You also experience what it's like to interact with the drug dealer. Yeah. So you know what it feels like, you know what it looks like. And so it's really embodied in you. So you really yes. put it out there. So that's how manifesting works is, is a perfect mm -hmm. example. I think a lot of people are, don't really fully understand manifesting. That's why it's right. getting a wrap. Yeah, um, you're right. Because it really involves all of your senses. And I think it's particularly hard when you've never experienced um what you want to get right yeah. so that's a perfect example because you've already experienced it i don't know like 50,000 times before <laughs> so it's really easy to manifest yep yeah <laughs> you know, right because yeah. you because yeah. you've been there done that you're you know what it feels yeah. like you know what it looks like you know what it you know what that feels like or thinks like or whatever all your senses right here you're touching you on that it's very important you're touching on something that's very important right now because a lot of what we're hearing in the manifestation spiritual worlds and and is is all about manifesting stuff and that's the thing you know people are trying so hard to manifest stuff because they think that stuff is going to make them feel a certain way versus manifesting the feeling and then the stuff naturally comes but the way it's being sold you know on youtube or, or you know all of these little programs it's being sold in make your lists and visualize this and and people are really missing out on how much you know that law of attraction is already at work in their life it's it's why like you said in the beginning you know the subconscious along with the universe doesn't understand negative words like don't whatever you are you know emotionally connected with mentally connected with what's going on in your energy is what you get back so you know i think what you're saying right now is so important and it's vital in the world because manifestation is about to get a bad rap again like it did 
back in the 80s when they first started talking about it because it's external. Everybody's trying to Did get to feel. In the 80s? Manifestation? Yes. Yeah, there was a big. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a big like wave, law of attraction wave. And then it came back in the 90s and quickly went downhill because again, you know, it was all about manifesting stuff. And they weren't getting to the roots like you're talking about now. So I thought manifesting um, came about from that movie, The Secret, that was, you know, Bob Proctor was in, Laura Langford, Michael Beckwith. Um, that was like the third wave. That was public. That was released in 2006. Mm -hmm. I thought that's where it came from. Like, mm -hmm. oh, The Secret. And then it, it popularized it and made it mainstream. Yeah, no. So... I didn't realize that it existed prior. Because yeah, because Earl Nightingale was talking about it. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, think and grow rich guy. You know, it came through with waves. But, you know, now that we're talking about it, sticking to the reticular activating system, you're going to start seeing some stuff about it. I know when this is over. Just well, I, already, I already have. I know who Earl Nightingale is. I definitely know the book, no. Think and Grow Rich. I think it's because yeah. they never labeled. They didn't give it that. Right. So I'm not. Right. <laughs> yeah right um attaching it to them but yeah they definitely talked about it um, each one comes in a wave each decade of ha has had its waves but i think what's important about what you're talking about right now in the conversation we're having is like i don't want to see it tank again because people are are just wanting to get stuff for the feeling what 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 we're talking about on your podcast and what you do and, and on recovery, soul food. And what we do is that it's deeper than that. You know, like, like if you get the feeling, the feeling has to come before the stuff comes. So when people are just trying to manifest stuff, it doesn't happen. And then they say, Oh, this crap doesn't work, but yet it's, it's thoroughly at work in their lives already because they're saying, but I don't want to be in debt, but debt just keeps coming because like you said, universe doesn't understand i don't want to be in debt mm -hmm. it is connected with how are you vibrating you're vibrating in fear and debt and that's what keeps bringing it back not because you're a bad person or you're a bad manifester you're a perfect manifester it's just that you know it's surface level and we got to go deeper than that deeper yeah yeah absolutely and i think also I think it's like, it is more challenging if somebody's never experienced what they're trying to manifest. Like if they're mm -hmm. taking a big leap in terms of mm -hmm. life experiences, um, you know, they're going to have to work. Like they're really going to have to put in more effort into yeah. tapping into what that actually feels like in their body, what that really looks like too, right? If some, you know, if someone's trying to manifest, I don't know, I guess everyone would... We manifest like I guess there's a lot of people out there who want to manifest like a mansion or some, something really yeah. big, like yeah. or luxury, and yeah. they never really experienced that. It's gonna yeah. be because the more details you go into, the more you'll activate your emotional body. Yes. Um, and so and I and that's why it's really important to um to like, if you want to experience a life more of luxury, then you go out and try to get those experiences. You don't have to go and spend so much money to do that. You can simply just walk into a Gucci store. You're, we can do that without spending money and just walk around and like touch the fabric, how it feels like, and look at, you know, the, 
the, the styles of the clothing and just to kind of get more of that experience of um, that more of a luxury if you're trying right. to manifest that. Yeah, so true. Great point. Because mm, it helps to, because it helps to, um, you know, obviously visualize it better and yeah, get the sure. feel of it more better. And you have to get excited about it. Um, you know, it's like putting, putting, when you put an order, when you're in a restaurant and you go and you put an order in and, you know, yeah. it excites, you know, your food's coming, yeah. right? You know, you're, yeah. you're not thinking, oh my God, is this food, is this food going to yeah. come, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or even, in, or even like if it's, it's taking a while, you know, it's yeah. come. you're not yeah. like in doubt, you know. Um, I love that. Yeah, I love that because it's so true. Like you don't keep going back to the kitchen, going, "Is my food coming? Are you sure it's coming?" <laughs> you know, like we do. And we're trying to. I guess it's not coming, things. so I guess we have to leave the restaurant. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. It doesn't work. This ordering shit doesn't work. You know, he's not making my food, and it's so true. And it sounds trivial, man, but it's so true that we do that with things. And I think it always comes back to that self worth thing, like whatever you're asking for. You know, whatever it is, do you truly feel worthy of it? Because if there's something in you that doesn't quite feel worthy, and I think that's where we get to even go even deeper down into those blocks. You know, there are things that kind of block us from certain things. And Rita, what you just said is, is such a great example, because, you know, if you've got a, a block when it comes to like living a luxurious life, because you've grown up like I did in a trailer park. Well, it's going to be far-fetched for you now to try to manifest this luxury lifestyle. And I think what Rita's saying about going out and immersing yourself in that is an amazing way for you to start just getting what does luxury smell like and what does it feel like? And then even deeper and better than that, how do you feel when you're surrounded this? Do you feel out of place? Do you feel like people are looking at you? And if that's how you feel, that's a beautiful place to start. Because if you don't feel worthy of what you're trying to manifest, you're going to almost manifest the opposite because we can't manifest past what we feel like we're worth. And I think that stands in so many people's way. And, you know, we, we're talking about things right now that are common to everybody, you know, money and stuff. It's easy to talk about that stuff. But for people that are even trying to manifest a really healthy you know, lifestyle and a healthy body, it's the same kind of concept, you know, like, like, what does a healthy body feel like? What does that look like to you? Like, what does that even mean? We're, we're so good at giving these general terms, but, you know, how do we truly manifest that if we don't really know what that means for us? So I, 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 I often take the time to make out, you know, my little list or write myself like letters about, you know, what my life is and you know it, it, it even biblically writes out manifestation process for us when we ask and believe we have already received like if you've asked for it it's done now you know trust that and go through what life brings you because life will prepare you for what it is you truly want. And sometimes that's going to look like circumstances that you think are just the opposite, but there's always a beautiful lesson within each circumstance we go to. And if you've asked the, you know, your higher power, whatever you call it, your, 
you know, whatever you, you name something that's bigger than you. If you ask that for this certain thing or this certain way of being, trust that what you're going through is in preparation, that, 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 it's, that you are being prepared to be in that position you want, to have that money that you want, to have that place, that house, that mansion, whatever it is that you want. You're being prepared because in all things, you know, suffering only truly comes when you find no reason for it. And, you know, I, for one, decided that I was no longer going to suffer for suffering's sake. Like if I'm going through something, then I know there's a deeper reason for it. And I just lean into what it is. I mean, even health problems I've been experiencing, I'm leaning in because I asked for the motivation to have a healthier lifestyle. Well, guess what? That came in a health breakdown that forced me to be more conscious and intent upon doing certain things, bringing certain things physically into my life to make my body feel better. You know, I work on my mind, I work on my spirit, but I was lacking in some of my body stuff. So now I have this health issue and now I, you know, am, am suddenly like motivated and, and really putting things into practice that is ultimately for my highest and best good. And maybe it doesn't feel like that or look like that when you're right in the midst of it. But I think if you keep that intention that even this is for my highest and best good, then you do, you, you're, you're on that manifestation, you know, like path to it. You know, we, we often want to manifest things and get it now, but I know you've heard this because we probably listen to a lot of the same stuff. I mean, how many times have you wished somebody in traffic to, you know, be run over by the bus or, you know, you say something like your boss, well, I hope he falls down a, a, a mine or some, you know, if we had instant gratification, you know, manifestation, we would probably all be in trouble. So we got to thank God for that buffer between that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, think, and I also, I think because the, there's a buffer there because um, it has to be in repetition. It has to be repetitive mm-hmm. to really build up that energy and to be able to really embody it. If yeah. I think, I think it's just to build up, we're just building up energy, energy, and it's like building up an, an energy ball gets bigger and bigger and finally just really push it out yeah to yeah universe um to kind of uh or you know you could look at a different or just having that energy level like be around us and a part of our aura that we pull it into our existence mm, in terms true. of situations or people or circumstances so or resources um yeah. um or opportunities to to get what we want to manifest um so yeah it's a built up and you have to do it repetitively daily. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that, you know, mm-hmm. and gives examples of how his daughter has manifested things. Um, you know, she would literally do the visualization meditations, you know, involving all the senses, making sure that you're aligned, your mind and body are aligned, that heart coherence with the mind um, when doing it. And she, you know, Sometimes she would manifest in 30 days or 90 days, but it's daily, like a daily yeah. meditation yeah. practice, man- yeah, to manifest it. 
Yeah, that's just how we're, it just takes, it's just work and discipline. And I think that, you know, due to technology, we've become probably more, you know, as overall, you know, technology has allowed us to be, it's kind of more lazier, right? Like if they would, they would, they would start sure. saying that with the calculator. Like I remember yeah. my grandparents would say, oh, the calculator is forcing you not to like do math in your yeah. head. Um, and now with the cell phones, we don't remember phone numbers anymore. Um, I mean, now there's, you know, our refrigerators, I mean, have, I don't, I don't have a sophisticated smart fridge, but I've seen them. I don't even know what they do. I don't, <laughs> I've seen them. <laughs> and, you know, like we have smart cars now. And I mean, you don't even have to turn your head now if you wanted, if you want to parallel oh. parts or just look at the computer and <laughs> right, right. So it's just technology is doing more and more for us and it's 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 just in it's instant too now we do now we're so accustomed to instant having something to show up at our door whatever we want and it's you know instant you know you don't have to drive anywhere to get a particular product that we want um you know so i think I'm saying that because when we look at doing spiritual work or healing work, it's not instant and there is no pushing a button to ha have it arrive at your door. <laughs> I think that's why most, um, you know, probably don't accomplish it, you know, and you know, it's just like with anything, you know, when you want to build, you know, building a six, whatever you want to build into success, whether that is, you know, you want to be, become a CEO of a company and you're building up your career to get there, um, whether it's a business, whatever it is, it is a lot of work, dedication, focus, laser focus, and discipline, self-discipline, extremely high levels of self-discipline and it's work to, to get there. And it's sacrifice. You have to make sacrifices. I mean, you can't be, a, you know, you're going to, you can't be a social butterfly at all times and be a huge success. Something you'd, you're going to have to devote more time to get what you want. You know, it, it we can't run away from sacrifice. Yeah. Or if you want something. So true. So true. And I think those words, you know, we, we've got such a, like a, a bad taste in our mouth about, you know, self-discipline when we say that word, but I mean, it really can be, it, it can be fun. And I think we have that negative, you know, association with it because we have somehow failed in the past with it, or we've labeled ourselves as not disciplined. And so it's like, we live under those stories. I mean, it goes back to, you know, that we're living under these stories that we write for ourselves and, you know, how much of it is really not true. And, and that's the same thing with, you know, self-discipline, you know, that, that word, just that whole phrase, you should just be so daunting to me because when you're in active addiction, you don't feel like you're self-disciplined. But let me tell you something, it takes self-discipline to get up when you have no home, you're homeless, you know, and you're broke and you have no job and you have this one need, which is to get well that day. It takes discipline to get out and go make it happen. And I, I really try to give that to, to, to flip that around for people in active addiction is like, look, 
you already have all the skills that it takes to be a high level CEO. I mean, whatever you want to be, you already have the skills. It's just that you're telling yourself the opposite story because what is entrepreneurship other than making something out of nothing and, and grinding it out and making it happen and it's sacrifice and it's discipline and it's all those things we're talking about. And for every person in active addiction, you've done all of that and then some. You just have to flip around your, your why. What's, what is it that you're, you're wanting now and utilize those same skills that you have? And, you know, I think that that turning around and, and and letting it kind of marinate on people like that, you, you almost see like I've been able to see in giving that talk in, in front of groups of people, you see the shift happen right behind their eyes. Like, you're right. You know, like I did things that I'm not proud of, but these are the things that I did because my why you know, was, was so powerful. And now we just have to replace that why with what's your new why is, you know, do you want to show every person who said you'd only ever be nothing but a junkie? Do you want to show them that you are much more than that and you can do anything you want? Or do you want to keep living safe under the stories of, well, I've ruined my life. Well, people don't hire felons. Well, I can't do all of this. Live under that safety and you'll never discover who you truly are as a powerful, creative being. And that is, I think, the biggest, I think that's the biggest sadness to me in life is to see so many people deciding to stay living under those labels because labels limit. And, you know, you can't, once you define yourself as some that I don't buy into the the adage of once an addict always an addict I also you know 12-step programs are wonderful they help people and I'm for everything but I'll you'll never hear me introduce myself as hey my name's LC and I'm an addict because that is not my prophecy and anything that comes after I am you know that's basically what you're building for yourself and when you limit yourself by saying, I am an addict, you'll work your, your butt off trying to live outside of that limitation, but you won't get there because every 12 hours, you're continuing to affirm that to yourself. And I just do not let anybody I work with on a personal guide level, uh, coach level, I just do not allow them to say that because that is not the truth about you that's a story. You know, it, it has been followed up and solidified with some behaviors, and, you know, and all that stuff, but behaviors can change. You can change a behavior today and it will take, you know, it will take massive action. It will take a new thought process. It will take telling yourself a new story. So tell yourself the story of what is the perfect you look like, you know, and as we're talking about, as you're telling yourself that story, what does that feel like? You know, what does it smell like? What is the, what is your, what are you surrounded with when you're living this perfect life of you? And let that marinate in, you know, and interrupt those old stories that play 
with that new story. It says, uh-uh, no, that was, that's my old story. This is my new story. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it may not happen overnight, but one of the fast tracks to manifestation is, is truly getting to the root of if it's a car you want, ask yourself, why? What is the feeling I'm looking for? Is it belonging? Is it to be seen? Is it to for people to think you're important? Do you want to feel important? Because if you can get down to the root of what it is that that you're wanting that thing to produce, the emotion you're wanting it to produce inside of you, then you can make that emotion happen right now. You know, if it's importance you want to feel, then find a place where you're already important in your life. Cultivate, cultivate the feeling of importance, being seen, being heard, being understood. And what you'll find is that that physical stuff, it'll fall into your, you know, your lap because you already know the feeling. And, and there's, you know, like you and I do the work of, of deeper healing. And then when you think you've gone as deep as you can go, go deeper because there's always a little root hanging under there. Mm-hmm. And so it's vital what you're doing. I, I love what you're doing in the world. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, there's many layers and I just you know, constantly have to pull back those layers and then you have to take an integrated approach. You know, it's like mm. you have to program yourself with yeah. positive images or audio, positive audio and education. Yes. But you also have to deal with your blocks too. Like if you don't feel worthy of it or yes. your traumas and try to identify it, then release it and also empower yourself with new programming. I mean, there's a lot to it. It's really not, you know, some kind of, you know, simple, just a one trick pony. It's not, it's, there's a, it's multi-layered. There's, there's multi, it's very integrated in terms of what we just discussed in terms of healing and reprogramming, but also to living a wellness lifestyle, like eating healthy food, doing physical activity helps too, because it gives you that energy and you feel better and vital to do, you know, your reprogramming, your activities and just being healthier. You're going to have more energy too, because all this obviously requires energy, you know, to sit down and have your guided meditations and do your affirmation work and identify you know um, or even if you choose to work with a with a therapist that is work too you have to sit down you know devote time and you know talking is in, in going back and to retrieve your those memories um to be able to identify and then release them and like elsie said oh yes you do have to make sure do you choose to work with a therapist that you choose somebody that is competent and yes. Yes. Um, you know and I've I'm sure people have run into there there's some therapists out there that are there's they haven't even released their traumas yet right. and they are not you know you really you really have to work with someone find somebody that is number one competent in the field that you are seeking um, there's so many, there's, I know there's therapy, if you've been, if you've had narcissistic abuse um, and you want to heal that, you have complex PTSD as a result, find a therapist that specializes in narcissistic abuse. Um, you know, and I do know there's one um, based in Los Angeles and she is the world renowned 
therapist that is um, specialized. She's the expert in narcissistic abuse. That's Dr. Romani. And she's got plenty, plenty of YouTube videos um, on, on it. And she's got a lot of free resources to help people. Um, but you want to, yeah. And you want to, and obviously, yeah, see, see if any books they've written, like see if they, you know, see what they've done, you know, really do your due diligence on whatever therapist you choose to work with. Um, and see how let it grow as you grow, you know, like, like, let it grow as you grow. Like you may outgrow, you may find some, a, a therapist that's really great. And then at a certain point you may kind of outgrow that therapist and maybe you need to move on to uh you know a life coach or maybe you need to have a therapist and a life coach you know i went through a, i had a trauma coach uh, i think and i was in my fourth year of recovery and and one year in in gender transition i finally signed on with uh you know a trauma coach who who helped me start to release the trauma and learn about trauma responses you know what you're saying is very very important that you got to find somebody that fits with you and don't be afraid to do something and like we were talking about on my show utilize nlp and hypnotherapy and you know all the things that whatever it takes to start rebuilding you you know and from every level you know before i even could afford to do coaching i went to the university of youtube and, you know, you and I obviously follow a lot of the same people, which is not surprising to me. It's why we have such great conversations is that, you know, I went for everything that was free, like, you know, because there's free audio books on YouTube. I mean, there's everything that, you know, can get you started. Then as you start to vibrate different, you start to, you know, believe different about yourself and can do different things, you know. And it's ever growing journey. Like I'm still learning and growing. Like it's, you know, and embodying more and more of it. It never, it never stops. And also too, it's, you have to keep surrounding yourself around it because we live in a world that is always going to throw negative shade at you. So you kind of always have to feed yourself with, um, you know, what we're talking about because you know, it is around us, the, these lower vibrational energies in terms of toxic people or um, media messages or whatever it is, um, you know, you need to maintain your strength through constantly feeding yourself. I mean, I do. And every time, um, you know, I get stronger as a result of listening to, I mean, I listen to, I still listen to personal development podcasts, um, even though I've heard some of the concepts a million and it's over again or yeah. or they're so basic that everyone knows but it's like there's an energetic uh transference that happens from the way the person if the speaker is embodying that truth and they're saying it and you're hearing it it's like almost as if you're getting an energetic food kind yes. of like being thrown and you get charged up uh, it, because it is it you know when the speaker lives it because it comes out in the tonality when they're speaking you can feel mm. it and I've had so many experiences with some amazing people like yourself and others where you know when they're talking about it or trying to like remind you about it or saying something it really just charges you up because 
they're embodying it. They're in it's an energetic transference. They literally, it's like, they're just energetically like recharging you up, like beaming you up again. It's like, we're, we're like literally like batteries, you know, yes. you know, um, you get charged up and then our, you know, as the day progresses or as time progresses, you know, um, yeah. kind of deplete with energy and we have to kind of recharge. It's almost, and it's same thing with these techniques that we speak of, like, in yes. linguistic programming, there's an anchoring technique that I discussed on LC's Recovery Soul Food podcast, where we I, I walked through what anchoring is to, if you want to tap into a different state of peace or confidence. Um, even with that, you can charge a particular state on one of your knuckles, but as time progresses, those anchors will decrease in their energy. So you have to like do it again and re-anchor your knuckles again, because it's like an, it's like literally, it's like a, like a battery, you know, energy is energy. Like just like how batteries deplete anything that is something like with crystals, you know, we have to recharge our crystals, you know, uh, except for cellulite. Um, Cellulite is something that you don't have to recharge. It's very cleansing. But any other crystal that you use, you have to you have to cleanse them and recharge them uh, with sunlight or um, or just um, putting them on cell cellulite cl uh, cleanses them and recharges them. But yeah, it's with everything. Um, we have to be recharged with vitality, just like how we need food to get recharged and have energy. It's the same thing in mind and spirit. Um, and what's a belief? You know, we talk about beliefs, you know, running deep subconscious beliefs, running the majority of our lives. And it's been said between 90 and 95. And I've even heard people say 98% of our behavior is run by our subconscious belief systems. But how did that, how does that belief become a belief? That's a thought that you think over and over. It's, it's repetition. So the more we play and the more we absorb this newer energy, then we are we start creating new you know subconscious beliefs of 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 like uh, Rita's talking about you know you know healthy energy and and all of those things and so it's it's vital I think you know for me in my life and it's obviously for you in your life that you know we are constantly recharging and and solidifying those new you know subconscious beliefs and creating new neural pathways you know in our mind so that that old way of thinking and believing becomes absorbed in that new healthier energy so that was a great that's a great point a very great point yeah absolutely and yeah it, it's it, it's it's integrated yeah you have to just like embody it so you know it's the only way you want to be and yeah. you know i know when i switched over to plant-based food and like getting used to it like when I would go through drive through and eat a hamburger, it's like, ew, I can't believe <laughs> like, ew, <laughs> you know, um, or any processed food, like you can, you know, you actually, and you can identify, whereas prior to that, I would love those burgers and that processed food at McDonald's. I'd be like, those were yummy, yum, that's yummy, 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 I want it, right? Quick, it's easy, it's convenient. But when you, once you transition into healthier food and you get used to it and your body gets accustomed to what it tastes like, what it most importantly, what it feels like, because it's actually giving you energy. It's actually giving you nutrients. 
when you revert back, it's like this repulsion. So it's the same thing once you get addicted and to healthy people and you finally have the courage to cut off toxic people um, and then you, you experience what healthy relationships are. Uh, once you meet a toxic person, you're gonna able to identify a toxic person a lot quicker and it doesn't matter what charismatic traps they're trying to bait you in with or how good looking they are, you're immediately repulsed because you're, you now, you've experienced the contrast and you know what that feels like and that's not good and you know the consequences of that because now you're in a healthy space and you're in healthy relationships and um, you're just going to be repulsed. You will never, you know, go back to toxicity in whatever shape or form that toxicity is. So it's, um, that's why living a wellness lifestyle, mind, body, and spirit is so vital. And you're going to just, it really, truly improves the quality of your life. And, you know, really, truly, and this is why I have this podcast. This is why I provide wellness products that inspire people to do wellness activities, whether that's yoga, meditation, you know, I do love the crystals. I love, it's for me, like to deal with, I have social anxiety. So uh, when I'm doing my podcast, also too, it gives me energy in terms of focus and clarity. So I just like hold my crystals now as I'm doing podcasts, <laughs> whether I'm a guest in a podcast or I'm doing my podcast and it really helps. And, um, you know, so whatever it is, and plus I'm probably creating a neural pathway uh, with that too, uh, helping to you know, charge up my energy and um, being more empowered as opposed to having my nervous system get wrapped up with nervous energy. Um, so it's just, it's just the only way to be. <laughs> I love you it. Be happy being well. <laughs> That's right. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and everybody like you know follow Elsie's podcast, and you don't have to like Elsie said, you don't have to have experiences with substance abuse, um, you know, to benefit listening to Elsie's podcast. And like Elsie said, like now he's now he doesn't even like it applies to everybody. So yeah. he's now basically talking about personal development toward yeah. people that are trying to stay sober and live a sober lifestyle. Um, so, you know, and he has a phenomenal podcast. Um, so I'll see if anybody wants to further, like, you know, you're a teacher and you're a motivational speaker. If anybody wants to work with you, maybe have to have you speak at their workplace or something, um, or work with you as a teacher, spiritual guide, where can they find you and learn more about you? You know, in all reality, you can actually message me. The quickest way to get in touch with me um, for any kind of speaking engagement or if you want to work one-on-one -on -one would be my Instagram handle, which is at recovery underscore soul food. Um, you know, our podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms and, of course, on YouTube um, at youtube.com forward slash recovery soul food but i think that the instagram is the quickest and easiest way for people to really like truly get in touch with me and and you know if, if you're ready to go deeper in your life and and you're not necessarily looking for someone to help you stay you know in a lower vibration state like if you're if you're really ready to to raise your vibration and and really embrace you know 
all of your possibilities, then absolutely contact me because those are the people that I'm really interested in working with. And I only open up so many spots every year to work with people because, you know, I'm looking for those people that are, are truly just ready and maybe feel stuck in a certain place and, and just can't figure out why. And, and you know, and, and I want us to, I don't want to tell you why I want us to just kind of figure out how we can absorb that and, and move through to, to help find and empower you know, oneself and, and embrace your own authenticity. That's, that's what I want to offer to people and offer the world is like, look, you are authentically amazing. And, you know, don't turn away from that because society may, you know, label you as a nerd or, or label you as, as whatever, you know, this is not where we're going. We're going to the authentic you. And so, you know, if you're ready to find that and ready to embrace your greatness, then make sure you get with me at recovery underscore soul food on Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. And so I, so also I will have the link um, to Elsie's Instagram page and I will have the link to his YouTube channel where he pushes out all of his podcasts onto his YouTube channel, Recovery Soul Food. And also on his Instagram page. He does have a link tree link where you can still access his podcast and whatever other links um, to contact him or learn more about him as well. So, all right. Thank you so much, Elsie, for, for being on the podcast and pouring into the Happy Being Well audience. And it was truly, truly insightful. And I think this is probably maybe perhaps the longest conversation I've had with a guest on the Happy Being Well podcast. And no surprise, we're both highly passionate about personal development and wellness and uh, personal development junkies. So, of course, we're going to dive deep into <laughs> insights and techniques on basically how to be happy being well and get away from toxicity into wellness and happiness and empowerment. So thank you again, Elsie. Everybody follow Recovery Soul Food on YouTube and on Instagram. Sending love and light to everybody and be happy being well. Thank you so much. It's always amazing spending time in your energy. I love it. You make me happy being well. So thank you so much <laughs> for having me. It's been amazing. Right, thank, thank you, everyone. You. Thank you.